Good morning, film fans. How are you? I say good morning because I am recording this at half past nine on a Monday morning. Slightly croaky. Apologies. It's been a busy weekend. Um, I've been off filming a new BBC Two show, so there's been a lot of talking involved. So um, slightly croaky and Madge Bishop style. God rest you neighbours. Um, slightly random reference on the show, but never mind. Thank you so much for joining us and thanks so much to everyone who's getting in touch with us on email. It's really lovely reading your messages. So please feel free to drop me an email. It's very simple, info at edithbowman.com. And I'm about to plough into prospects for the podcast for the rest of the year. So it'd be lovely to get a few suggestions from you guys. If there's anyone in particular you'd like to see featured on the show or return to the show, then please do drop me a line. There's a lovely email that I got from Caroline Young, who's actually an author um, of a number of books about film. And she was drawing my attention to the fact that it's uh, coming up for the 60th anniversary of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Phenomenal film scored by Frank Duvall. And it reminded me, actually, uh, that we had that great conversation with David Newman about his dad, Alfred Newman. And Alfred did the score for so many great films, uh, including Seven Year Itch. And there is the new Marlon Monroe film coming up, Blonde, that is scored by Nick Cave and Warren Ellis. I have the request in already. So there's lots of kind of nice tie-ins. So it's got me thinking about loads of people that we can get to feature on the podcast between now and the end of the year or maybe next year as well. So thank you so much, Caroline, for your email, but also just for the the kind of the, the I don't know, the journey that it's led me down to think about who we can get on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. So as I say, get in touch. Info at edithbowman.com is how you can do that on email. Now on to this week's guest and it's a return to a wonderful human being and I'm such a fan of his films. The wonderful and hugely talented Jordan Peele returns to soundtracking. Following the critical and commercial success of Get Out and Us, Jordan goes fully widescreen with this, I don't want to say too much, kind of sci-fi epic nope. All I'm going to say is that you have these ranch-owning siblings Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, who are on a bit of a quest. And I don't really want to say too much because by telling you more about what they're trying to do, it kind of gives too much away about the film, I think. But just know that you need to see this film because it's brilliant. And I loved chatting to Jordan about it. And as with his previous two movies, Nope is scored by Michael Abels. And it's with Michael's cue, What's a Bad Miracle, that we begin. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I'm good, Edith. Oh, it's great to see you. I was just listening back to our 
previous chat, which was a good few years ago, but it just reminded me about uh, how important uh, music is to you in your filmmaking. And mm. I had I had such a great time with Nope. I just I loved walking into that cinema and I tried my best not to read or see anything or watch the trailer too many times so that I was going in there with a real kind of blank canvas to kind of allow you to transport me. And you did. And it's always, I think, such a unique experience getting to watch a Jordan Peele film. The unexpected always happens. Thank you so much. And and and, and yeah, the, the music, music is so important. Both the, the needle drops and the, the score are both these integrally important projects and so anyway i'm glad i'm glad you appreciate it yeah oh i loved it i can't wait to go back and watch it again oh wonderful <laughs> yeah do you mind if we before we we kind of dive into to music and you know like you say michael's um score but also the needle drops what was the seed for nope what was the kind of catalyst for it the catalyst was the idea of going big first and foremost and and saying you know there's a reason that flying saucer movies aren't attempted much, at least not the type, the type that I'm interested in, where it's sort of about the cinema of the UFO, you know, movies like Close Encounters. It's not enough of them. I thought uh, uh, Arrival uh, by Denis Villeneuve was, was a fantastic film. And so that was kind of it. I was like, look, let's do it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the quintessential big summer uh, UFO horror film. <laughs> And uh, and that's how I started. Oh, man. Well, I guess there is also always that kind of the, the unknown always has an element of horror with it, doesn't it? Because you've no idea what you're stepping into. So those, you know, even like with E.T. and stuff, when I think about, you know, kind of science fiction films as a kid and even like um, the flight of the navigator and stuff like that, you know, that you kind of watch the kid. They still that kind of that slight anxiety and fear of going are they going to be okay? What are they going to find? Where are they going to end up? The, a flying saucer is like, it's a giant flying mystery box. <laughs> yeah. And everyone, you don't need to do anything. All you need to do is show that disc and everyone knows there's a mystery. And you're like, okay, well, <laughs> what do the aliens look like, I guess? You know? <laughs> and so, yeah, there's such a drive for terror because when we're, when we're wondering these things, when we're thinking about what's, what's underneath the mask, our dark, twisted imaginations are going, are running wild. And that's when, when people come out of a horror movie and say they, it's, it's too scary for them. It's not, the horror movie wasn't too scary. It was their own imaginations are too scary, I, I think. I love that. It's in the same way what Billy Connolly says, there's no such thing as bad weather. It's just bad choice of clothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's a moving uh, target, yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, and um, with music, I loved, you know, the, the, the score is, oh man, it's so nuanced and so important and so woven within the characters, the location, the emotion, but those needle drops as well. And I love, I love that record collection in the house. And I kind of almost wanted to pause the screen just for a second to try and kind of sort of visually flick through and see what was in that record collection. You know, the one of the starting songs was Obadaman by Exuma. It's starting as in one of the first songs I, I, I knew. Might have been the one song that had the real hard place in the script. And I don't know why. It was it was it's a it's he's 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 sort of a forgotten hero and legend of of music, I think. He's sort of connected to the mythology of this 
Alistair P. Haywood character to me in, in, in many ways. So anyway, it was, it was a, um, that was a one that I was very proud of from the very beginning. Of course, this is going into the final act of the film. When I was born, the midwife screamed and shout. I had fire and brimstone coming out of my mouth. I'm at and, and I love it as well because it almost tells us about, you know, this relationship between Daniel and Kiki's characters, OJ and, and Emerald, is is the kind of beaten heart of the film, really, you know, in terms of this almost journey of discovery to what their relationship is, you know, reconnecting, refinding, you know, this connection they've, they've had and they've almost lost over time. But um, I love that, you know, that is it Stevie Wonder that's playing when she's when she's dancing. What is it that's playing when she's dancing around in the in the house when she's. You're talking about the fingertips. Which, um, yeah, which was a pool with a sort of a, a double meaning to it uh, as well that I won't, <laughs> I no won't spoil it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, the, so much of this, this character was inspired by my father, who I didn't know very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has a certain amount of mystery for me. And, and there's... There's sort of a missing collection of music, I think, in my life, in a way. And these are all the songs that are, are part of it. That's beautiful. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, Dionne Warwick's Walk On By Walk is yeah. sort of something that just kind of fit in a moment in this, uh, in, in a right moment. And, and that's so much of what, what you're doing is um, just... Um, feeling the moment if you see me walking down the street and i start to cry each time we meet walk on of the mo- m- more fascinating pursuits and and something there's a song that we use in the in early on in the commercial shoot that is a song called the visha sweat um sung by 12 year old jody foster jody foster i noticed that that's crazy was that before or after bugs in alone it, it's good good question Pro- probably right around then yeah right, right before it's a banger, and it was just so hard to track down the rights to this thing. Oh, wow. um, so it was a, it was a true. My, my producer Ian Cooper had um, just people combing the earth for the, <laughs> the people who own this song, and I'm I'm sure it was 
you know, the rights were sort of locked away in some French uh, filing cabinet with dust on it somewhere. But but we got we it. it. And it's like one of these little little things that um, just makes me so much joy um, to see in the film. Well, even that is almost a, a brilliant and subtle way to this kind of connection back to the 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 kind of history of of American cinema in a way. Do you know what I mean? In kind of these little moments, because I think that that's another brilliant thing. You know, I, there's there's so many layers to your films that are wonderful, and that's why I said I want to go back and see it again because I know that I'll get more, I'll be fed more as I watch it again. But all these kind of themes that are underlying and that are there and that are important and. You know, I think one of those as well was that kind of, you know, how you're really addressing those those individuals, the below the line workers and particularly addressing historical celebration, really, of people in colour in that world. You know, when you look at the that piece of which was the start of cinema, you know, that the Edward Maybridge's Black Jockey and how the, the horse and the owner are mentioned in historical reference books but the jockey isn't and I and I love how these these little moments have got such big powerful needs to be part of the film and part of your storytelling yeah you know the um like I said the 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 the, the initial notion to make a spectacle and make a big blockbuster film kind of immediately turned inward and said okay well, what's wrong with this and I you know focused on what's wrong with the the industry of spectacle and the media and the way we consume it and part of it is this idea of exploitation, is that we chew people up, we chew nature up, we chew animals up, so to speak, and spit out the souls, you know, leave them less. And that's what this, that's what the Hollywood industry has a history of doing with its greatest films. And so I didn't want to make a film without looking at the issues and without, without understanding the problem at hand. Yeah. And, and those two characters as well, and the way that they are, the, the, almost the personalities of those characters, almost are, are kind of the two sides to the coin of the juxtaposition of, you know, kind of Daniel's, I mean, he says that, that man is a genius in the way that he can tell the story almost by saying nothing um, and tell you so much about a character as well as phenomenal. And then Kiki's this kind of, you know, sort of effervescent kind of flamboyance and that kind of real two sides to a coin when you're in that world of what do I want to read? But do I want to be private and quiet and, and withdrawn? Or do I have to be or want to be this kind of, you know, larger than life character? It's, it's also a really clever way, I think, of, of exploring that through these two characters in terms of what's expected of you in that world. Thank you. And, then, you know, they both occupy sort of two sides of myself. You know, that <laughs> yeah. I've, got, I've got this part of me that, you know, wants to be alone and reclusive and, and, and feels a feels scared of attention, too much attention. And then there's this other side of me that's on key and peel, you know, <laughs> acting a fool, <laughs> trying to get attention. And so the, you know, somewhere between Emerald and OJ is, is, is me. It's you. 
<laughs> I like that. I like as well the, the the incredible work that's done by Johnny Byrne on this film because I think yeah. the sound design on this and the the collaboration between what he's done and what Michael's done is mm-hmm. is so important. And yeah. how the, the the lines between those two areas are so blurred. Where did you start with Michael? I mean, what were the conversations that you had about score-wise, how this film would sound or how you wanted it to sound? Well, we went many ways and and in, in terms of the conversation. And what I love about Michael and, and one of the reasons we uh, I've worked with him with the first of, of my three films is because he, you know, I like to create a film that, feels new and feels special and feels novel. And I feel like he can invent and reinvent and find new ways to tell genre mm-hmm. stories. Now, I find when the, the music moves away from horror music, uh, more and more, I feel, I feel a release. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm starting to enjoy more and more getting my fears out of imagery, getting my, my chills out of the imagery, and getting um, my other emotions out of the music, my joy, my magic my suspense, mm-hmm. you know, my, uh, but the, the sort of good feeling. So we talked a lot about that. You know, when you were talking about OJ and Emerald and their connection, you know, we, I think Michael and I found something in this theme for them that is a bit more, on, on surface, is a bit more earnest than mm-hmm. how my work has landed. And it is. And, 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 it, and it's also about film and the, 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 the way wholesomeness and earnestness is used to ground a film but i'm 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 very proud of that theme as well which of course uh, recurs in the finale
it's it's the use of um there's a, there's this moment which is kind of after after they're in Angel's truck and the there's this is kind of plucking of strings and there's that moment that it's almost like they're going through a car wash almost in a way and mm. it's just that kind of even that subtlety of and then I think after that is the moment where everybody in the screening room by the way sort of cheered when Daniel went nope <laughs> <laughs> it got a like it got a yay from everybody in the cinema it was awesome yeah, yeah. but there's but that, that one. yeah uh, but just that just the, the the use of just a plucked string can create so much, so simple, but it can just create this kind of wall of tension or suspense. Yeah. I mean, I I would say, I I, I like to think of music as sort of mirroring what's going on internally. Talk about a plucked string. If I hear a plucked string, I'm thinking of a pulse. I'm thinking of your your heart beats and then it stops, Mm. you know, and and that's how it feels, right? You feel like... And you're waiting for the other beat to drop. And so that, you know, that that is it, it, one of the most beautiful things about film is, you know, there, there are points when you have to, where, where it, it can't be intellectualized. It really has to be felt. Mm-hmm. And that's where you, you want those places to be really where the, the collab, the spark of the collab, individual collaborations are. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's, that's, that's you know how how Michael and I work together is about we try and find these m- moments of magic and and sort of figure out what it means for the film. so many stunning moments as well visually I mean it's just I I I actually saw Daniel last week and I said to him that there's this one there's so many beautiful moments but where he's in the car and it's just it's like a piece of art it's like just to see it as as a still in a gallery it's just stunning and then that scene where he's on the horse you know the the big wide shot and it's kind of like and the cue at that moment I think is one of my favorites in the film it's just it's got a bit of bonanza in there it's just got this this kind of like it's like, yeah, go on kind of thing. It's brilliant. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, what, a, you know, and, and, and the, the movie, it, it tours genre a bit. And when it, you know, I, I can't say when it, when it does, I think it's, it, it's doing it with a bit of commentary to it. But um, part of movies I love have a genre unto themselves. In order to do that, you, you need the right score and soundtrack in order to be something that resonates over time, you know? And so anyway, I think, I think Michael's just out, outdone himself. It's my, my favorite of his scores and, um, and it's incredible.
or the, I couldn't believe the size of the orchestra on the, the the closing credits. It was kind of it just went on and on and on. And then I was very happy to see the solo whistler within that kind of uh, within that as well. You can't do a film set in the west, the wild west, without having a solo whistler in there, John. That's right. <laughs> yep, we got the best. Um, it's yeah. I mean, it's like you know to be able to to be able to watch a, a composer and a, and a conductor wield such a such tools it's is just really fantastic and fantastic experience live and integral to the scope which is yeah. why that's what that, that's what the, the big sort of hope with this movie is we could have sort of a, a big uh scope yeah um, listen, we've we've run out of time, but um, I, you've done it once again, sir. You've just um, smashed it, and it was an absolute beautiful and brilliant experience to go and watch this in the cinema. And I cannot wait a to see it again, but also what's next. Thank you so much. That that's just wonderful. Oh, I love it. Okay, I'll, you take and I'll care. See you next time for sure. Thanks so much, Jordan. Take care. Bye. Oh, thank Bye. you. From Michael Abel's score to note, that's the title track grounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Jordan Peele. My huge thanks to Jordan for taking the time to talk to us. Nope is on general release now and as with all the best UFO films, deserves to be seen on the big screen. You can hear my previous chat with him at edithbowman.com where you can also listen to all previous episodes and subscribe to the podcast which means that whenever we drop an episode you're immediately notified you can also as i said at the start of the podcast drop us an email we are info at edithbowman.com and please follow us on facebook instagram and twitter we are at soundtracking uk next week finally we welcome benjamin wolfish to the show and um, i've been trying to get benjamin on the show since way back when he did the score for uh, denis villeneuve's blade runner and uh, he most recently has done a fantastic job on Ron Howard's 13 Lives. Now, if you're not aware of this film, you will be aware of the story because it's Ron's dramatisation of that phenomenal story. Do you remember those young Thai boys who were stuck in the cave and these very brave and beautifully courageous men worked out how they could get in there to at least try and rescue these boys? Ron's made it into a fantastic film it is so tense and you feel like you are there in the moment it's out in cinemas now so if you can before next week's episode go and see 13 lives as well as nope obviously and then join me next week when we're joined by composer benjamin wolfish i very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then <laughs>